Well, thank you, Pastor Kerry, for that beyond wonderful introduction. Uh, yeah, if we, if we haven't met or you would just like a refresher from the past 30 seconds, my name is Johnny, and I am the pastor of student ministries here at Eastside, and what a privilege that is. As Pastor Kerry asked for me to deliver this message today, and as I began preparing for it, I decided I thought it was a good idea to look back at some of the other messages that I've had the privilege of delivering here at Eastside. Was it a good idea for me to look back at those? Who's to say? But that's what I did. So I went back and looked at these, and one thing really stuck out to me immediately. I talk about travel a lot. I mean, a lot. It seems like every message that I've had the chance to deliver here, in some capacity, I have told a story or made some sort of tie-in that relates back to traveling. So anyway, as I was at the airport in Arizona earlier this week, I, uh, I experienced something that I've never experienced before. You see, my wife and I had a wonderful vacation to, to finish out last week to Arizona. We saw some beautiful things, some beautiful creation, experienced all four seasons somehow, and did about 1,100 miles on a rental car in the span of four days. But as we got back to the airport, prepared to come back home to Indiana, it was a different experience. I personally get very stressed out when it comes to taking the car back to the airport. Frankly, I'm stressed about pretty much everything to do with the airport. But it starts with getting that rental car back. Well, we drop this rental car back off, and it's a really smooth process. No curveballs, no uh, red flags to pop up, anything like that. It's just a simple, smooth process. Drop off the keys and walk into the airport. First time for everything. And then, Another big fear of mine was that our bag was going to be overweight. We were pretty close on the way out there, and we bought some more stuff that we didn't really need while we were in Arizona. So I was terrified it was going to be overweight. Well, my wife, being the master packer that she is, we got our bag in, got it weighed, and it came in at two and a half pounds under the weight limit. I was floored. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. But then, as we made our way to security, I thought that our luck had ran out. The line for security was all the way through that, you know, zigzag thing you go through, clear backed up to the food court. I'm like, well, you can't win them all. But then we hop in line, and honestly, it's moving really quick, all things considered. It's really smooth as far as security lines go. We didn't have anything in our pockets or our backpacks that we weren't allowed to have. We made it through without any real issue. I did have to get padded down a little bit. Apparently, I just look like a shady type of character, I guess. But beyond that, it really wasn't a bad experience. So we made it through with time to spare, make it to our gate, and find some nice seats where we can just unwind and rest before it's time to get on this flight. But then time seems to drag on and on and on. We're sitting there for what feels like forever. I mean, 
Our plane was already at the gate when we got there. There shouldn't be any holdup. But then I look at my wife and I go, weren't we supposed to board 10 minutes ago? And it was just after this that a voice came over the intercom and said, attention flight 869 to Indianapolis. Go ahead and stay in your seats. Keep comfortable. Uh, we're experiencing a slight delay. We'll get you there as soon as possible. You know, normally that wouldn't be a big deal, but this was really peculiar to me. They hadn't indicated anything of a delay before. I mean, there was no inclement weather in Indianapolis or in Arizona. The big TV screens that have all the flights on them didn't show anything was delayed. Our flight still said on time. But then as we sat there, I came to learn that our flight was missing something very important. You see, it wasn't that they had to de-ice the plane. It wasn't that they misplaced the keys to the ignition. Do, do, do planes have keys? Well, either way, they hadn't lost the keys to the ignition. It wasn't even something dire like having to restock the peanuts. No, our plane was missing something perhaps a bit more important than any of those things. You see, the plane was here. The passengers were here. The flight attendants and all that sort of crew were here. The one thing missing were the pilots. Believe it or not, pilots are pretty important if you want to fly somewhere. I'd never heard of pilots running late before. But apparently what had happened is their previous flight had been delayed. So, after a little while, their flight finally shows up. They sprint across the terminal, make it to our gate, very apologetic, mind you. These pilots felt bad that they had kept us waiting. But yet, as they got to our gate, they were met with anything but a warm welcome. They were met with people jeering at them, a whole lot of sarcastic claps, a lot of, how nice of you to finally show up. You see, me personally, I have a policy to never upset somebody who has a direct impact on my chances of survival. <laughs> Apparently, not everyone else on this plane feels the same way. But the thing is, people were cranky. I mean, we had been sitting in the terminal for a while. It was a Monday, and let's face it, nobody really likes those. And as much as I hate to say it, I think everybody realized we were leaving sunny Arizona and coming back to, well, this. I love Indiana. This has been my home my whole life. But it was sunny in 75 when I left, and when I got back here the next day, it was 30. I was ready to hop on the plane and go right back out there. But as I was preparing for this message today, as I was looking for a real-world example or story to tell, one thing really stuck out to me and became clear. Nobody really loves their neighbor on a delayed red-eye flight. Pastor Kerry has been doing an excellent job at walking us through the, the 12th chapter of the book of Mark. And today, I get the privilege to walk us through a very interesting and powerful part of that scripture. But before I get to that, 
I want to set the scene a little bit. You see, recently before this part we're looking at today, Jesus had his authority challenged by some of the religious leaders. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, these groups were asking him where his authority came from. But yet when Jesus asked them questions, they didn't want to answer. So then Jesus told a story about some evil farmers, which made these leaders even more mad because they realized Jesus was talking about them. And then a little while later, the Pharisees came back specifically to try to trap Jesus with a question about taxes. Come on. Jesus is way ahead of that. And then the Sadducees came back with more questions to ask Jesus. Of course, he answered them with authority and succinctness. Jesus had left the Sadducees and the Pharisees speechless. They wanted to trap him. They wanted to find something to point at and say, ah, we got you there. But they couldn't. Everything that they asked, he answered with authority. He answered well. But yet there was one person left who asked him a question. And the thing is, this, this question that Jesus was asked is actually a really good question. It's not really a trick question or a meaningless question or anything of that sort. It's a very good, very powerful question. Something worth pondering. This, uh, this question comes out of Mark chapter 12, and the passage you'll be looking at today is verses 28 through 34. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. It's also going to be on the screen, and I'm going to be kind of breaking it down piece by piece. But this discussion went as followed with verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? That is a really good question. I mean, that's something that is important for us to know and to understand, to wrestle with. And, you know, how about instead of speculating on that, you take it right to the source, which is Jesus. So then in verse 29, Jesus replies, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. We see there Jesus goes speaking with that authority that we talked about. But the thing is, that answer that Jesus gave probably isn't the answer that the Pharisees or the Sadducees or most of the religious leaders were looking for. In fact, I would think any Pharisees left in this area would probably be pretty dumbstruck by what Jesus just said. Love the Lord? Absolutely, that's a no-brainer. I mean, loving the Lord is the basis of everything. We have to love the Lord so that we can act like we're better than everybody else and show them how high and mighty we are. 
but love others? Mm, not so much. I mean, love other Pharisees? Yeah, absolutely. He's right on the money with that. Love other people who fit into this, this small group that uh, follow all of our rules and all of our regulations and look and act and talk exactly like us? Yeah. But there is no way the true Messiah would be telling us that we need to love everyone. And the thing is, this person that asked Jesus this question was not just some random stranger. It was not just some random guy that came up to him and was like, hey, Jesus. The New Living Translation refers to this person as an expert of the law. Some texts refer to him as a teacher of the law. Others, as a Pharisee expert in the law. Others yet, even as a lawyer. Regardless, this person that Jesus was talking to that asked this question was an expert. Now, I'd really like to tell you a story real quick to kind of help paint a picture of what I think this expert in the law kind of was like. You see, I have had a lot of different teachers and professors in my years of school. I mean, just take college. Having 120 credits typically means that you're gonna go through many different areas of study. And in going through many different areas of study, you're typically gonna have many different experts in their various fields. I've had about all kinds of professors you can imagine. I've had professors who were fresh out of grad school, still very new, very green to the whole teaching thing. I had professors who it seemed like made it their whole job to make sure the class was fun and entertaining. I had some professors, as much as I hate to say, that I think had taught for so long that they really didn't care all that much about teaching anymore. Frankly, I had some professors, I'm not sure if they ever really cared about teaching. But out of every type of professor I had, there is one type, bar none, more polarizing and controversial than the rest. And this is the professor who is deeply passionate about the subject they're teaching, who is a expert and really, really cares. You see, this person, at some point in their life, found a topic or a subject that they fell in love with, and then they dedicated their whole life to learning more about that subject and growing in their knowledge of that subject, and now they teach that with that same fiery passion that they've always had. One such instance with a professor like this was when I had a history of Christianity class. Now, that seems like a pretty straightforward class for a ministry major. And I'll admit, it was a very interesting class, one of the best that I've ever had. But this professor knew everything there was to know about the history of Christianity. I mean, he had dates memorized. He had background characters' middle names memorized. This guy knew it all. 
he was so deeply passionate about this subject that he would offer up extra credit to anyone willing to dress as Martin Luther for Halloween, or as he celebrated it, Reformation Day. Now, it was a very interesting class. But the thing is, this professor was so passionate about the subject and so passionate about teaching this that it extended onto the students. That meant if you wanted to succeed in this class, you were gonna have to work for it. You were going to have to read the text. You were going to have to study your notes. You were going to have to go to the optional tutoring sessions. You were gonna have to ask questions. This was not a class that you could just show up the day of the final, wing it, and walk through with a passing grade. The reason that I tell this story is because I really, I like to think of this interaction between Jesus and this expert on the law a little bit like that. The only difference is that while this leader, this expert in the law, knew the laws and was an expert in them, Jesus is not your run-of-the-mill college student waiting until the day before the final to study. No. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who can speak with knowledge and with authority and mean it. But yet, even given this authority and this knowledge that Jesus has, that doesn't mean that he just goes around slamming down knowledge with a heavy hand. So yeah, Jesus says the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And while I like to think that any Pharisees left in the area were aghast at these words that Jesus had just uttered, this expert in the law did not react that way. In fact, he reacted in a way that was honestly really surprising to me. Verse 32 goes on to say, the teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Wow. Anyone else not see that coming? I mean, we see time and time again, religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, throwing up these questions at Jesus, just trying to set up opportunities to trap him, to catch him in a bad spot, to be able to point at him and say, we gotcha. And now Jesus gives a rather surprising answer to a question about the law to someone who was an expert on the law. And Jesus was met with a, well said. Any Pharisees who were left in the area had to be shocked. There are over 600 laws throughout the Old Testament, laws and commands. By my count, it's somewhere around 613. And Jesus simply said, love God, love others. But the thing is, 
Jesus didn't say that these two most important commands are the only two that matter. He didn't say we can forget everything else as long as we do these two. In fact, earlier in his ministry, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. But what Jesus was doing here when he said to love God and love others is he is summarizing and encompassing all 600 plus of those laws and those commands of the Old Testament. Jesus is directly quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus when he says, love God, love others. And the thing is, this expert on the law, he knew the scriptures. He knew the law. He knew the commands. Knew them inside and out, front to back. But the thing is, Jesus knows them too. But even more than simply knowing the commands front to back, Jesus knows the heart behind them. Jesus knows the heart behind the scripture, the heart behind the law, the heart behind the command. And that's why Jesus gets to speak with authority. You see, all the time, I hear people say things like, I only read the red letters of the Bible. If Jesus didn't say it, I don't read it. Or I hear people say things like, you know, now that Jesus died and resurrected, the Old Testament doesn't really matter. Or those laws in the Old Testament, they're not relevant today. They were only relevant then. Jesus has set us free from that. But that's why Jesus and this expert on the law were able to come to an agreement that's why there was no further issue or, or conflict between them because Jesus is not saying the old laws don't matter. Jesus is not saying that we don't need to follow the old law. What Jesus is saying is that if you truly love God with everything within you and truly love your neighbor as yourself, then your outpour into the world will be a following of those other laws. That that will be your natural outpour. I mean, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but just think about some of the big commands and laws from the Old Testament. Thou shalt not murder. If someone truly loves God with everything they have and truly loves their neighbor as themselves, they're probably not going to be out there murdering someone. Someone who truly loves God with everything they have and truly loves their neighbor as themselves, they're probably not going to be living in adultery. They're probably not going to be stealing. And they are definitely, definitely not going to be worshiping other gods. Now, I know what you're thinking. Johnny, I've sinned. I've messed up. I've done this or I've done that, or I've done whatever. Does that mean that I don't love God? Is that what you're up here saying? And my friends, the answer to that question is no. I will be the first person to stand up here and tell you that I have sinned, that I have fallen short of the glory of God. But yet, I absolutely love God. Because the thing is, Jesus was born on this earth 
And Jesus willingly hung on that cross to take a death that was meant for you and me. And in doing so, he extended grace to us that we can never earn and never deserve. He extended a grace that is big enough to cover a multitude of our sin. But the thing is, that grace, that overwhelming, wonderful grace that he so freely gives to us, we can't treat that like a get out of jail free card. You see, we literally see examples of Jesus forgiving people of their sins, but then he tells them to go forth and sin no more. We cannot treat our grace as an excuse to be freed from the slavery to sin and then run right back into it. And I know that this is going to be hard. And I know that this is something you can't just wake up one day and decide, that's it, I'm done sinning. But that's the beautiful thing about this being a lifelong process, covered in the grace and the love of Christ. Because the beautiful thing is, this greatest command that Jesus gave us is not about an outward action or appearance. It's not about simply saying the right things or simply looking the right way. It's not about saying with your words, I love God, and then continuing to live however you want. It's not about just doing nice things for the people around you because that's what the Bible says to do. These commands that Jesus, that Jesus gave us, they're about what's in here. They are about an outpour of the conditions inside our hearts. Friends, it isn't enough to simply say we love God or love our neighbor. It isn't enough to just try to do nice things for those around us or just make sacrifices and put on what we think it looks like to be a follower of Christ. It is about being so deep in your pursuit of loving and knowing Christ that your entire life, your entire heart is marked by his love, by a love for him that would transform your whole life so much that that love would be your natural state that your natural state would be to love God and to love others. This exchange between Jesus and this expert in the law ends in a really beautiful way. It ends with a glimpse into something incredibly powerful. It wraps up here with verse 34 simply saying, realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What an incredible statement. What a powerful glimpse into what the kingdom might look like. It's a glimpse into mutual mindness with Christ, into being of, of one mind and one heart with him. It's an incredible and beautiful statement. There's a line that I have said several times throughout this message today, a line that has recently become very famous. I, uh, I see it in Instagram bios, 
on bumper stickers, on shirts, bracelets, hats, tattoos. I see it everywhere. It's four words, and it says, love God, love others. And you know what? That is a succinct, to the point, and really beautiful phrase that encompasses what Jesus said here. The only thing is, I'm not sure that it really goes far enough to 100% convey this message that Jesus is sharing. Because these commands that Jesus gave, they're not something you can pick and choose. And they're not something where one can exist without the other. If I say that I love God, but I don't love my neighbor, but I don't love his creation, do I really love God? And if I try to love those around me, if I do kind things for them, if I give them things, care for them, spend time with them, but yet I don't love God, well, yeah, it's, it's nice. Yeah, it probably has a positive influence on their life. But friends, I hate to tell you, on an eternal scale, it's meaningless. If we love those around us but don't love God, eventually, that will all pass away. Eventually, that will all fade and mean nothing on an eternal scale. These commands of Jesus have to be a both and. And that's why I like to look at it, not quite just love God, love others, but I would challenge that and change to say, love Jesus so we can love others and love others so we can truly love Jesus. And those are not separate statements. It is love Jesus so we can love others and love others so we can truly love Jesus. Now, I know that's, that's easier said than done. And I know that that is something that for a lot of us might not come natural. And we might excel better at one than other. We might, uh, we might have been hurt by the church, by religion growing up, or even more recently than that. And that might make it hard to fully lean in and love God. Or maybe we've been hurt by somebody else and it's really hard to love them. But friends, I urge you, understand, this is what Jesus means when he says the most important command. It is a both and. That we must love Jesus so we can love others and love others so that we can love Jesus. And that's gonna be my challenge for us today. It'll look different for everyone. I have no doubt about that. And we get to experience his grace and trust that this is a lifelong process. But each day we need to pursue a life more and more honoring and glorifying of Christ to reach mutual mindness and mutual heart with him so that we can truly love him to love others and love others to love him. Let's pray about it. Lord, I just, I thank you for this interaction that Jesus had with this expert of the law. Lord, that, that you would provide just such beautiful 
and clear examples of your truth and your commands. Lord, may you, may you speak into our hearts, into our lives today. Expose the areas where we need to, to change something to love you and the areas where we need to love others. But Lord, open our eyes to see you at work all around us. I thank you for the freedom and the grace that we get to experience because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross. I thank you that we get to know you and we get to do life with you and that we get to live in to your truth every day. And Lord, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice will be changed and impacted by who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God. Thank you for your truth and thank you for your word. Amen.